With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Home run, you know, but there's there's plenty of failures in in photography, my work included. There's plenty of times when I've missed a great photo sure. because of that. But you have to think, okay, well, just for example, I was in Portugal and I missed the 720. Okay. I was swimming in the water with a fisheye, um, and and I totally missed that that wave. And you were in the water though with Kelly. With Kelly, yeah, right. we were just weren't in the right spot. We were at the beach, and it was pouring down rain. It was howling offshore, like 30 miles an hour offshore. And we sat there and watched it for two hours, and we were humming and hawing about whether to go out or not. We're like, should we go out? Should we not go out? Not too sure. We watched it for like two hours. Finally, I was like, I'm like, hey, I'm like, let's just go out. We'll go get a couple waves, and we'll go get lunch. I'm like, the pal out was really bad that day. I'm like, let's just go pal out. It'll make lunch taste better. All right. And I was thinking, it was howling offshore. I'm like, there's no way we're going to do an air on this day. Like, it's going to be a tube day. Set up a fisheye camera, swim out. First wave, it gets tubed on the left, comes out. Pals back out, sitting out there, and the wind went from offshore to sideshore. And that's when he got that wave, did the big double rotation, the 540 or the 720, which, however you want to call it. Yeah. Pals back out, and I'm just like, oh, man, here we go. You know? You the, saw it. I saw the whole thing. And the wind went back offshore, which is not good for airs. And we're like, what are the odds that we palled out for the 15 minutes the wind goes sideshore? He does the 720. Yeah. And the wind goes back offshore. And at the time, I was like, man, this this sucks. But it was so cool, and I was so happy for him because he completed a maneuver that, to this day, hasn't really been done before. Yeah. And I've looked at it many, many times, and I think, okay, had I had an 85-millimeter wood in the water or a long lens in the water, would have made a great photo? Probably not. But if I was on land, would I have got a great shot? Maybe a sequence. But you have to look at... Or what, what I kept thinking about is what images have we made together over the course of our relationship of capturing images that are different from everybody else's because we've taken risks and it's all about risk assessment and, and how, how far are you willing to, to push the risk to get something that's totally unique to, to the point where if someone opens a magazine they're looking at something they haven't seen before and, and that's something you have to ask yourself every time you go to go shoot. And that one, I, I chose to shoot a fisheye, never thinking you would do a 720, and you did, and it's awesome, and it was amazing. Unfortunately, it was during a contest, there's 40 other people that all got it documented. So it wasn't like we were in Indo and I was the only cameraman. That would have been terrible. Right. But the fact that it was documented, I, it, was, it was amazing. And I think it, it's great for him, and it's great for surfing. And so, you know, I, I missed a good shot. Yeah. In the long run, I think we have a, a set of pretty unique images that, that no one else has. Yeah.
That's the voice of professional surf photographer Todd Glazer. Actually, it's a snippet from an interview, episode number 63 of Surf Splendor, that I published on November 24th, 2014. And he's obviously talking about being in the water with Kelly Slater in Portugal when he stomped that, I don't know, 540 or 720, depending on who you're talking to. And um, this today's episode of Surf Splendor is a brand new interview with Todd Glazer. But I just wanted to include that little snippet as a reminder. It's a story that I always loved uh, of Todd's. And um, so if you want to check out that episode of Surf Splendor, it's episode number 63. It is not available in your iTunes feed because iTunes only permits us to publish the last 50 episodes. But you can get it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. The complete archive is free. So definitely go dig that one up. It's worth listening to. And it actually gives, or I should say Todd gives, his origin story, um, his path from humble beginnings to traveling the world with Kelly Slater to being a staff photographer for Surfer Magazine, which he has been since 2008 which was the same year that he actually won the Follow the Light Foundation Grant Award, which was the homage to Larry Flame Moore that Surfing Surfing Magazine, rest in peace, used to do. And um, so Todd's an accomplished uh, photographer, of course. But I would say the last couple of years of his life have really been devoted to a project called Proximity. And Proximity is a new film and coffee table book project that he's been working on with Taylor Steele. So Taylor Steele is arguably the most notable film surf filmmaker other than, of course, Bruce Brown, but he is responsible for the momentum generation of Kelly Slater, Rob Machado, Taylor Knox, Ross Williams, the Malloy brothers, all that stuff. And um, Taylor's been working in commercial film and commercial commercials for the last few years and this film proximity is his first surf film in some time and todd is partnered with taylor to document the entire project with photographs and todd will be releasing a coffee table book in conjunction with this film and a lot of other stuff actual virtual reality is a part of the film premieres and there's a lot of just kind of tangential ancillary things that are happening with this film it's an all immersive experience really 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 radical so look forward to that todd gives the complete breakdown in this episode i hope that you enjoy it you can find photos and um, a trailer for proximity everything that todd and i discuss is available on surf splendor podcast.com um, I, if you're a listener, if you're a regular listener of this show, I'm sure that you want an update um, about the discussion that Scott Bass and I had last week on this show. You can look forward to that coming on Friday. I'll kind of give you the full rundown in Friday's episode. So tune back in for that. But until now, pure Todd Glazer, all the time, pure proximity. And I forgot to mention, my name is David Scales. This is Surf Splendor. Enjoy my conversation with Todd Glazer. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. But yeah, welcome back to the show. I think it was like two years maybe since 
we last recorded. It was I remember it was right after Kelly stomped the five forty seven twenty because you talked about that experience on the show being in the water with him. Yeah, that's right. That was a few years ago. Thank How? thank you for having me back. Yeah, by, of course. By the way, um, when was it? That was two thousand and fourteen, potentially almost three years ago. That is shocking. Time goes really fast. It is so shocking. You've had a busy couple of years since then, so that makes sense that time would fly. Yeah. Yeah, time's been going fast, but we've been, um, I don't know, we just try and enjoy every day for what it is, and that way when you look back, you're hopefully having all good days. Dude, to be honest, that's been the biggest challenge for me in my kind of last couple of years of adult life is learning how to live in the moment. You know, because that is when you get the most out of the experience, but it's so much anticipation of events that are coming up or reflecting on what I maybe didn't get done this week that it's hard to actually live in the moment of the experience, you know? Yeah, I I totally agree. And that's something that I think just being a surfer, being a photographer that's primarily based around surfing and the ocean is everything has always been so swell dependent, weather dependent, wave dependent. It's really hard for me to like, look into the future or plan ahead two weeks, let alone six months or a year or two years. So um, that's certainly something I learned like with this project is, you know, like we had an idea and we just started mapping it out day by day, what we're going to do, where we're going to go. And uh, now that we've, you know, like we finished shooting and we finished um, the editing and finished, you know, printing, it's, it's, we have all this we have all the imagery like now what do we do with it right and that was something that was never thought out really oh yeah that was like um we just thought let's get our you know let's write down a, a list of ideas of places we want to go and who we want to be involved with and let's just get a you know we'll, we'll go chase a swell and like we'll document the story um that happens while we're there and kind of have a couple of con- like key concepts that we want to okay. touch upon and then all of a sudden like for me, you know, now we have all these, all this imagery and we have all, you know, these guys that the filming, like for what we were doing, ended up happening pretty quick. And it was just everything on the back end. Um, you know, just last night I was about to go to sleep and I got a phone call from, uh, from Taylor and he's like, Hey, I just talked to the guys in, uh, in Australia and, you know, whoever was meant to help with the art show didn't make any prints. And we have an art show in nine days in Sydney. And so, you know, as I was ready for bed, I'm like, all right. So I had to call, start calling friends in Australia, like, hey, who do you, who do you get prints made with? Who do you talk to? And finally, one of my friends, uh, Phil Gallagher was like, you got to call, call this guy. His name's Brent. He's amazing. He's in Sydney. So I called him totally out of the blue. I'm like, I'm a friend of Phil's from California. He's like, yep, no worries. We do everything in house. We're, you know, we can get it, get you all sorted. So wow. I was up till two in the morning prepping all the files and FTP and all the files to Australia so they can start the process of printing and framing and, and doing all that. So it's always, there's been uh, so many twists and turns. Like I come from an editorial background yeah, and a commercial background where, you know, we, we have a concept of a, of a location. We have a group of guys, we have a certain surfer or a certain, you know, article of clothing or something that we want to show. And we go and do the shoot and we do the color and we correct it. Then we send it off to a design team that then, lays it out in a magazine who has a color guy that, you know, matches the color profile from digital printing to four press printing, which is like CMYK printing. And then, uh, and then that's how you see the magazines like, 
you know, on the newsstand yeah. with either ads or with prints or in catalogs or on billboards, wherever they end up. This project, I became my own publisher. Okay. So, which is a whole other thing I never even thought about. Yeah. A whole other aspect of the project. That, uh, so we definitely it, learned a lot. That's, so I think time's flown by as a result. You being uh, the self-publisher then, was that figured out after the fact as well? Or was that one of the key concepts from the early days of the project? No, that was – so uh, I guess to – I kind of jumped into the project. Uh, we, we basically just skipped like three years of life. Sure. <laughs> but uh, – We'll the, come back. Yeah. The, I mean the, the project that we're talking about, it's called Proximity. And what happened to Taylor Steele is a good friend. We actually went to the same high school, although a few years apart. Okay. We were surfing down at Seaside, which is the beach we both grew up surfing at. And this is like two years ago. Actually, two years ago this May. And I hadn't seen him in a while. And he's like, you know, I'm thinking about doing another surf film. It's going to be my 25th surf film. It'd be really cool to partner and, and do something together. And, and we'd made a couple films together in the past. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. I've always wanted to do a coffee table book. Let's. Why don't you make the surf film and I'll make coffee table book and we'll do it together and we'll just make something cool. And. So we got out of the water and we went up the street to a coffee shop named Java Depot, which is about half a mile away. It's actually where you and I first met up. It is. Yeah, yeah. So we met up there. We had a cup of coffee and we just started writing down ideas. We're like, what if we did this? What if we got these guys involved? What if we went here? And like within two hours, we had a list of names we wanted to be a part of the project, a dream list of locations and a concept just like that. And then we met up the next day and went surfing and met up again. We're like... You know, what if we put, we just started, we had this big list of names. We're like, what if we started putting these guys together and we really started thinking about it? We're like, you know, a trip like this hasn't really been done before as far as partnering like dual generational surfers um, in in locations that maybe they hadn't been before. And, you know, big concern with us was trying to find the locations where um, either one, they haven't been seen a ton or there wouldn't be other film crews or other photographers there to kind of, um, document what we're trying to document. And it's really easy. Like the first trip we did was with Shane Dory and Albie Lair. And our initial thought is, well, why don't we just, you know, we'll chase a swell to Jaws with them. But then we're like, well, it's it's documented so much. How is that going to be? How is the way that we document it going to be so different that the waves they catch in the session aren't going to be on Instagram or aren't going to be on Facebook or aren't going to be on a website that afternoon? So we put a lot of energy in trying to find waves that, um, aren't shot very often or maybe hadn't been shot before. And so that was, um, you know, one of the tasks that I was kind of put upon to to find a location that would complement the surfing of Shane and Albie, uh, for example, uh, just as one example, right. that they're both going to be equal and both going to feel inspired to push each other because most of the big wave spots are all pretty well documented yeah. on certain swells. So and they only break... A limited number of times a year, and that crew is dedicated to getting those days. Right, the local crew, meaning, which yeah. was a totally different challenge with with this project, is trying to get, you know, essentially eight surfers, uh, you know, in that in the absolute peaks of their careers, doing what they absolutely love to do, but still making sure that they don't miss a jaw swell, yeah. or making sure John, you know, John and Kelly don't miss the eddy, right? Which they actually had to fly back early from our trip to go do the eddy. Got it. Um, Good move on John John's part. It was great. it was actually it was the Eddie that they didn't uh, that they didn't run. Oh, okay. okay. So, um, and the way that we had the the whole project structured was that we had ideally when or originally when when we came up with the idea, we're like, okay, we have four guys, we have 
two uh, or four trips, two guys on a trip, and we gave each group six weeks. And we're like, okay, this is May. We're going to be done shooting by February. We're going to be done editing by May. And this thing will be out in June of 2016, which as I don't know if you know much about production, it was, we were so far beyond our, our reaches with that and our scheduling just didn't even work. But after our initial meeting, we were filming like three months after we, we were filming pretty quickly after, um, after our first cup of coffee. Okay. And that was with uh, Shane and Alvy, and that was our first trip. And um, this, we ended up going to a location that I was um, turned on to by a friend, and he was kind enough to kind of share a couple spots with us. And the wave that we ended up surfing wasn't even on the list of places that we were meant to go surf. Oh, okay. We were actually got lost trying to find a different wave. Hmm. And we're like, oh, there's the ocean. Let's just pull over and, and see what we see because we were totally lost and had been spending hours trying to find the wave that we wanted to surf. Wow. And um, ended up just w- parking and walking a couple hundred yards and looking down, and there was a wave right there. Wow. Totally random, like out of the blue. Did the original um, person who was be- gave you the information, did they know about that wave? Did they know that wave even existed? They did, and they'd done the similar thing that we did trying to find the other wave. Okay. But they didn't think that it was surfable because the wave that we saw, um, it breaks basically on dry reef. Yeah. And uh, it takes a certain person to want to surf it and so for us having you know two of the the best big wave surfers and slab surfers in one place together on this this wave was was a total gift uh, i assume you're intentionally being vague about locations yeah. can you discuss locations in the film at all or no that was one thing that we definitely want to pay you know respect to the places that we went to and also just respect for the locals and just i think uh, as a surfer it's more exciting not to know where we go mm-hmm. i mean i think if, for people in the know if you if you look at the details close enough, you can kind of, you can at least figure out the country. But as far as like actual locations, um, you know, I think it's pretty cool that all the ways we went to, we were the only ones filming there except for one spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and hopefully, you know, that'll inspire other people to want to go back and go find their own spots like that and um, and have their own kind of adventure that way. Yeah. And I mean, by all means, if you're savvy enough and want to invest the time and resource to finding it, go find it. Yeah, that's part of the part of the process. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, you mentioned one of the concepts being dual generation. What does that mean exactly? So the the concept or the, what I meant by dual generation was was thinking of um, you know Taylor grew up with the Momentum Crew as as a part of the Momentum Crew, um, meaning like you know Kelly Slater, Shane Dorian, Rob Machado. Um, Ross Williams, Benji, uh, T Knox, T Knox. I'm miss. I'm missing a lot of people. The yeah. boys. The, there's a lot of guys there, and those those were his peers. And what's funny is, as Taylor's progressed as, as a filmmaker and as a director, those a lot of those surfers are still just as relevant now as they were 20 years ago when they first started Momentum together. And so we were thinking, who is who are, you know, who is Kelly Slater? 20 years ago, but, but current. And for us, it was, you know, it was a natural pairing to pair Kelly with John and with Rob. It was a natural for us to pair Rob Machado with Craig Anderson. I was going to guess Craig. I didn't even know that was the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then with Shane Dorian, you know, we're like, who is Shane always, you know, kind of hand in hand with and at Jaws, it's it's Albie Lair and Albie, 
um, you know, really admires Shane. He's learned a lot from Shane and is watching Shane surf Jaws, which is essentially in his backyard. And then kind of the curveball on the project, which is the one I'm really excited about, is we partnered Dave Rostovich with, uh, with Stephanie Gilmore. Fascinating. And so they're not as dif- different in age, but they're both uber competitive and they both love right hand points and they both surf beautifully. And so what we tried to do is we tried to find a theme throughout the different pairings of surfers that um, that would expand outside of just their surfing, but the way that they approach, the way they live, the way, yeah, they, okay. the way that they are outside of the water. And so like with this project, you know, when we started filming it, uh, John's movie had just come out, View from Blue Moon. Uh, Ian Walsh was halfway through filming his project with Distance Beyond Dreams. And, you know, for us, with limited time, it's it's really hard to to look at a film like View from Blue Moon where John has every session filmed to compete with a with the ultra-high performance surfing. Because if you film every session for two years and, and edit it down to 40 minutes, you're going to have View from Blue Moon, which at the time is the most progressive, you know, best waves, highest performance surfing that there is as far as a performance level. Um, you know, we couldn't compete with that with the amount of time that we had to film. So what we wanted to do is we really wanted to dive into the characters and as Taylor um, is growing as a filmmaker, he's he's done the high action films, and so he really wants to um, push more into like the short films, even to like full feature documentaries um, outside of the surfing. And so, by being able to to dive into the characters of our film, uh, we're able to um, tell a story that you know you don't have to be able to do a five forty to, to relate to, right? To be able to enjoy and appreciate. Yeah, I mean story is always relevant for a, for a viewer, for a listener, for a reader, for anybody like story is what's compelling, you know? And of course, void of story action will always get your attention as well. But story is timeless. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Interesting. So you um, talked about coming from an editorial background. Will any of these images exist anywhere or any of the story exist anywhere other than the film and the coffee table book? Yes. Okay. Um, they will. And that was something that, um, that we, that we discussed from a very early stage. And one of the biggest concerns we had in, in making this project is a lot of times you go on a surf trip, like I'll do an editorial surf trip for surfer magazine. And, you, you go somewhere for a week and you get, you know, hopefully great waves at the end of the week, you know, you say high fives, hug each other by. And yeah. and then whoever you're with goes off and at the time they'd go do a trip for Surfline or for Surfing Magazine or go do a trip for another story. And all of a sudden you can't really separate outside location. You can't really separate what they're wearing, what they're doing, what boards they're riding. So with this project – we partnered each one of the surfers with an artist. And so each surfer, um, their boards were painted on by a different artist or they had a different airbrush and they had specific wetsuits made and specific trunks made. And at the end of the trip, we would take all their board shorts, um, all their boards, wetsuits, everything, and hold them for the project. Because in addition to the, the coffee table book and the film, Taylor and I really approached this project as, as an art piece. And... So our dream was when you go to these premieres, there's an art gallery element where you walk into the premiere and you can see the board that Rob Machado surfed on a left-hand point 
with Craig, and there's this beautiful mural uh, painted by Sage uh, Vaughn on the bottom of his board. And then um, there'll be a big photo, say a big photo of Rob riding that board. And then in addition to that, we have a virtual reality aspect. So there's a headset there. So you can, when you walk into these galleries, you walk in, you see the board, you see a print, you put on a headset and, you know, you're hiking through the bush with Rob and Craig trying to find a left-hand point, or you're on a bluff with Dave and Stephanie um, drinking a beer at sunset staring at, at right-hand point surf. And so we really wanted to give like a first-hand experience of what it's like to travel with everyone. Mm. But to, to go back, so um, we held all the imagery for the entire project. And the first time that the still images are going to be seen outside of the few promo images that are out now uh, are going to be in Surfer Magazine next month. Oh, they are? Yeah. So Surfer Magazine was a big supporter um, of me, you know, being able to travel and being able to document this project. And we went to a couple of different sponsors and me being a staff photographer for Surfer, I've been with them for almost nine years now. They were the first group that I went to and said, hey, Taylor and I, we have this idea. And they were they were totally supportive of it and really enabled it uh, for me to happen from my, from the still photography standpoint. Who's writing that story? Uh, uh, Nathan Myers. Okay. Was, uh, so Nathan Myers uh, came on all the trips as a behind the scenes filmer. Okay. We're, uh, we're working on a, I believe it's a four or six part television series that's documenting the making of the project. And Nathan with his background in editorial writing and him working at surfing magazine for a long time, he not only was filming the uh, the behind the scenes of the entire project, the cast, the production. Um, he was also conducting the interviews, which are the the narrative that that tie the film together, and they also tie the book together too. Man, <laughs> <laughs> so do you know where that television series will end up? Yeah, I believe it's with Outside Magazine. Okay, I be- I like on one of their Outside Television. Oh, that's right. They do have a cable channel. Yeah, I, we. I don't have cable. Okay. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I don't think I have that channel, but I'm almost certain they do have a channel. Okay. On like deep cable somewhere, you know, and probably on their website, I would think. Yeah. You get that stuff. It's funny. You said early on that like when you guys um, conceptualized the trip, there wasn't any plan in place for dissemination of all the material in the end. However, it seems like even having Nathan there, you know, there was some sort of understanding of like, or I would imagine even using the virtual reality goggles, maybe there was a technical aspect, like a camera that needed to be used to shoot that stuff to be able to have it available on VR. Yeah. Well, what we did, and, and Taylor and I, we, we would go, we would spend hours on the phone going back and forth and emails and group texts. And we we each have our, our specialties. And, and something that taylor does really well is he's really you know coming from the commercial background that he does where he does very high-end commercials he's able to pull together a pretty tight crew of filmers that are able to do multiple things like got it nathan myers is he's like a swiss army knife of cameraman he can do audio he can write he can film behind the scenes he had an international driver's license that we showed up to one location and we couldn't rent cars because we'd never international driver's license Hmm. but he lives in bali and he just pulled it out and was able to get two vans just like that Hmm. so all the things that we didn't think about, um, they kind of worked themselves out. And, you know, our intentions always from the beginning were like, let's just let's just come up with a dream list of ideas and places. And if they don't work out, it doesn't work out. And um, fortunately, we were really able to kind of 
um, you know, with the help of the surfers and the help of Taylor and the production companies, we were able to like get a big majority of, of what we were trying to accomplish. And, you know, we, we'd tell the surfers, it's not like a commercial, we don't have major funding, you know, it's not like, um, a big company like, you know, like Billabong or, or Hurley or Quicksilver came to us and said, Hey, make us a film, come make Trilogy, which is a film that he made or come make Blue Horizon, which, which are beautifully shot films, but those all have one you know, major backing. We right. were like trying to get support from any, anywhere that we could so we could build this project and still maintain creative control. And that was a big part of it. So that's kind of the most fascinating part of it to me personally is like always kind of trying to figure out the business of things and, and the branding and the marketing. And like, it's pretty innovative the way that you're talking about it, creating, treating it like an art project and having board shorts and wetsuits and artists involved with the branding aspect, because now usually uh, a surfer's sponsor, clothing sponsor, wetsuit sponsor really wants to control that. That's all their value is seeing their wetsuit being worn in the biggest film of the year. So it's interesting that you guys were able to kind of reposition it and create proximity, the brand rather than farming that stuff out or allowing other people to influence what was going on. But I'm also interested, like I said, in the business of it, where when Billabong sponsored Blue Horizon, it was a really specific linear model where it's like, here's the budget of the film. If we sell X number of units at 30 bucks a pop, we will see a return on that investment. So that's very linear. I'm curious, what does that equation look like for you guys with a project like this? Is it funding from a lot of sources and then revenue from a lot of sources? And what are those things? And well, yeah, that that was something that was really, really difficult from the beginning was trying to convince a potential sponsor to go, hey, we have this idea. The surfers in, involved are, you know, and I say the surfers from, a you know, a cast standpoint that they're good friends. Yeah. We, we've spent a lot of time together. I, everyone on the trip I've spent, I've traveled all over with and, you know, we're close friends, which is why this was able to work. They believed in our crazy idea. But from a business standpoint, it was really difficult to approach a company and say, we have this idea. Nobody knows that we're making it. Right. We don't know where the locations are just yet. We don't know when we're filming. And all assets are being held for two years until everything is done. <laughs> so from a business standpoint, that's really hard to sell. Like very, very hard to sell. Um, Taylor and I originally, when we, when we started it, Taylor was going to be in charge of the film crew and I was going to be in charge of finding locations, um, helping get the surfers involved and forecasting swells, organizing the travel and um, making this coffee table book. And the whole time in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to get the best images I can. And if I shoot the best images I can, we're going to make this great book and people are going to want to purchase it. And it's going to be something that I'm really proud of. And it's going to be something that I believe in. And we did that the first trip we did with Shane and Albie. You know, both those guys were so excited that one, you know, they'd never done a trip together. Kelly and John had never done a trip together. Dave and Steph had never done a trip together. Craig and Rob had done one trip together, um, you know, in their lifetime, which is really funny when you think about it. Because like Dave and Steph live a, an hour apart and they never surf together. They might see each other at Snapper and passing, but they don't, they've never been on a trip ever, which is, and so documenting that was really really cool mm. um same with john and kelly they 
literally lived next to each other in Hawaii, and they had never been on a surf trip together. They'd been in the same place. Of course, and they're on the tour together. And they're on the tour together, but, but they'd never been on a boat and gone surfing together, you know, for a couple of days or for a week. Um, so they're on a boat. We know that much we, about the location. We, we know that they are on a boat, <laughs> planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, but as far as the business goes, you know, and this is something that I think Taylor was so so good with, is he partnered with two different production companies that really worked hard to get funding to support the film. And um, the whole book, like my portion of all the, the my portion of the project was all funded. Uh, the travel was funded by Surfer Magazine. So they really supported me in doing that. But as far as like designing, printing, marketing, editing, color editing, publishing, storing, distributing, that's all come out of my pocket um, from the book. So, you know, I went into it as a as a producer and a, and a co-director and a creative with Taylor. And then all, I came out of it as all of that, in addition to a travel agent, um, a board schlepper and uh, a publisher and in. in in about a month and a half, I've got 5,000 pounds of books arriving at my mom's doorstep that we're going to hide in the garage and, and distribute out of there. So we don't hope, really know. Hope there's not a flood. Yeah, exactly. Keep it elevated. There's all sorts of stuff. Total. And these are all things that I've had never thought about. Yeah. And, um, and Taylor's plan, you know, we were talking about it this morning. Um, with any project on this scale, there's all sorts of hiccups and the, the and little problems along the way. And it's always like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. Um, but I think the project wouldn't be the same without that. And as a result, we've been able to get support and been able to go to galleries that we wouldn't have access to originally. Yeah. And, you know, even having, you know, the support of guys like Kelly and John who were like, yeah, we believe in this project. We want to film this project and we want to do the best we can. So, you know, you can see it in the performance levels. Mm. Um, it, when you watch the surfing in the film or when you look at the photos from the project, mm -hmm. in addition to the conversations, like one of the, one of the parts of the project that I'm really excited to share is, um, you know, we've all seen Kelly and John surf, but on the trip, you know, one afternoon they were hanging out or one night they were hanging out and we set up a chess board and they sat and played chess for an hour and we mic'd them during that, during the chess game. And so the dialogue that happens when you get, 11-time world champion and a one-time world champion together over a competitive game like chess is really interesting. And I think that's something that um, surfers will definitely relate to, but non-surfers will get into the mind of multiple world champions. Fascinating. Fascinating. Do you want to take a moment to list the artists that were involved? We mentioned the surfers. Yeah. So we, um, with the artists involved, Richard Phillips out of New York, who's a, an artist... Um, he painted on all of Kelly's boards and then John had a friend in Hawaii. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember the name or no. John's boards were done by a friend. Uh, one of Craig Stesick's friends okay. in Orange through County. Hurley. I can't, I can't through Hurley. I can't yeah. think of his name. Um, Rob was, uh, Sage Vaughn was staying in his, in the guest room at Rob's house when we were talking about the project and Rob was so excited he went and shaped all the boards and then asked Sage to paint on them and Sage in his backyard at like 11 at night um, did a full mural on all his boards so when you wow. put them all together it's like six boards are this big painting okay Shane we just wanted to go all black 
So Shane just spray painted them all black. And I'm what's hip, funny? I'm hip to that. What's funny about it is in the film, I don't want to give too much away, but he actually went through all his boards. And because we were surfing this really heavy slab and he had one left and it and it wasn't uh, it hadn't been painted yet. And so Shane gets out of the water and, we, and at lunch we're driving around this town and uh, we find a we find a paint shop and he runs in and he's wearing a six mil hood and booties and buys two cans of spray paint and is like on the rock spray painting his no board way. and then like goes back out so there's a like consistency among the aesthetic of his boards. Are there covering sponsor logos and all that sort of stuff or does he sticker it up after the fact? I can't remember. I'd have to okay. I don't know. We were in the heat of the moment but I'll never forget he broke two boards in one session and came in he just had this fire in his eye and yeah. what's really cool too is we had these waterproof mics that were attached to him so the whole time he's in the water and he's like you know, going over the falls, hitting the reef, or getting great waves, you hear him like, ah, screaming or cheering Albie on. Or, wow. So both Albie and Shane are mic during the filming of the process. I didn't even know that that technology existed. Like, I mean, waterproof mics I did, but like at that level where you can attach them without falling off during wipeouts and that sort of thing. Neither did we. That's crazy. But we did a lot of research. So we kind of like, like I said, at the very beginning, we're like, how cool would it be if they were mic'd in the water? How yeah. cool would it be if they're with artists? How cool would it be like, let's do an art project that involves our friends and involves surfing and mm-hmm. let's just push it as far as we possibly possibly can and if we yeah. have to pull it back we will like a couple of the trips we had a drone team uh, this crew named Aether Films it's a three man drone team that they all went to college together and one guy Davis is a full on like he's so into flying drones he got his pilot's license so he can fly not only planes but he learned to fly a plane so he could be a better drone pilot crazy built the drone from the ground up every piece it wasn't a kit he built the drone he was into built race, uh, racing RC cars as a kid okay his other friend um, Andrew was a, he was an intern like with Annie Leibovitz wow and so he got really into into cameras and cinematography and he also helps around the business so you have like this drone technician who can sure. just he's like MacGyver okay and then you have Andrew who's like knows everything about cameras and how to attach cameras and and um, also how to wrangle data. And then another friend of theirs, Kyle, who was their third roommate. And he's a, um, he's a spotter, but he was also able to like, he's just like Mr. Organized, made sure all the gear was prepped, ready to go. Um, you know, one of the neat things we did on some of the trips is we shot on like anamorphic lenses rather than just like typical cinema lenses, which are these beautiful like, um, they gave it more like a panoramic feel, okay. But it's a non-distortive, rather than the more like four by three cinema, okay. Or sorry, sixteen by nine, which would be HD, okay. Um, and with the film, everything was shot on you know very high quality HD film, uh, red cameras, and yeah, six K or eight K. I don't know, all, a bunch of numbers, a lot of Ks, <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of Ks, which is a lot of data to wrangle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. 
more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, well, so back to the kind of business aspect of it, you explained what your involvement is in self-publishing and all that, but what, so what does the revenue model look like to come? Is it mainly digital? Is it units sold of the book? And like, what, what is the layout or outlay I can't speak for the film directly. You know, I can I can make an assumption that it's gonna it's gonna go on iTunes. I know they're doing some DVDs and some Blu-rays. Okay. We're also working on a collector's edition that's gonna where you can like get a book with like a, a USB jump drive. Mm. Um, in addition to, um, for you know, from the still standpoint, all of the the prints that we're making are all uh, so at these art shows, the prints are available. They're all in limited edition prints. So um, as far as like a revenue stream, I'm hoping to use some of those prints to help supplement the costs yeah. that I put into um, making the book, making the prints, travel, in addition to just a little bit of time. But ideally with any art project, especially with like a, a surf documentary, if you're able to break even, it's a gift. And if you can make a little bit extra, yeah. that'd be really nice. But I kind of went into it. If, if I'm able to break even, I'd be really stoked. That Good. would be like anything else would be a bonus. But um you know, something I learned about with books and with publishing and, and I owe a lot of um, help to the guys, not only at Surfer, but at Surfer's Journal, like Scott Hewlett and Jeff Devine and Brendan Thomas, was that, um, you know, with books, there's always that ratio of the more you print, the less expensive it is. However, the more you have to store. So when you're ordering a book, if you make a thousand units, it's X amount. If you do 1500 units, you know, the price goes down like 30%. You go 2000 units, it goes down like 50%. You go down to 5,000 units, it's even more. But when you're the one writing the check, that's a big check to write for 5,000 units, and you have to have the place to store it all. Um, you know, I'm still actively shooting. I'm doing, this year I'm doing like half the tour, the WCT tour, in addition to the soul film and uh, book tour. So my travel schedule is pretty busy. Unfortunately, uh, last year and the last couple of years, I've um, been fortunate to have some great commercial clients that um, have enabled me to do this project as well. I was going to ask about that, actually. It seems like some of the best surf photographers end up exploring careers outside of surfing. And you mentioned Taylor himself does a lot of, he makes commercials, moving pictures, you know, video. Um, explain that process. And like, I, I think it makes a lot of financial sense. Obviously, you can make money off of, I don't know, 
Apple a lot easier than you can out of the surf industry if that's one of your clients. But I also kind of wonder if creatively it makes sense. You know, like you look at what Chris Burkhardt's doing and it's like, how often can you shoot surfing until you kind of want to explore just something else? You know, can you talk about that process and what it's been like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So when I when I first was getting into surf photography, I mean, even now, like the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I check the buoys and I look at the forecast and it's just like by nature. And it's either if I'm going to go shoot or if I'm going to go surf. And a, a couple of friends of mine were laughing like we put the, the book to print last week and the next day the waves were good. And I called my friend Taylor who lives in Encinitas and we went and shot photos. And a couple of friends were like, you just put this big project to rest and print like don't you just want to go surfing i'm like i like shooting photos like that's what i love to do it's i always have a camera with me i'm always thinking about photography and whether it's not surf photography it's always some other form of photography um i was just watching uh or listening to a podcast last week on on one of my favorite photographers danny clinch and just hearing him the way that he talks about photography the way he talks about music you know inspires me because i'm like oh, you know there's kind of a lot of similarities with the way i feel about surfing and you know, even when I'm not shooting surfing, I'm I'm going surfing, and I try and think in the water like, okay, how would this look from if I had a camera? And it's whenever every time you don't have a camera is when you wish you had a camera, and mm. when you have your camera, sometimes you wish you had a surfboard, yeah, or body surfing or, or in the water uh, riding any piece of equipment. But um, I I like the challenges of, of a commercial job. I like how they have a uh, a beginning, middle, and end, and they're they're typically pretty uh, pretty short and condensed. Yeah, pretty high stress. Whereas, like if if we were to go make a, a motion commercial, I've been shooting a lot of motion in the last couple of years. You know, you typically do a bunch of pre production, you shoot for two days, and then you spend quite a bit of time a week, two weeks, three weeks in the editing bay, wrapping out this commercial. And I think for me, my passion has always been in the in the actual shooting mm. and coming up with the ideas. And then working with editors to, to kind of tie it all together. I've never been the best at editing my own work. Some guys are really good at it. Yeah. Um, other, but for me, it, it's it's more exciting to um, to think of ideas and go and execute those ideas, and then move on to the next one, yeah. which isn't always the best for seeing. I mean, I'll, I'll see projects all the way through, and of certainly course. with surfing's weird because there's always good waves somewhere, <laughs> and depending on how your you know, what your budget is, what your time amount is. Like you can be anywhere in, in 20, 12 to 24 hours right. with, with enough resources. And, um, you know, for the last, uh, I don't know, six, seven years, I've been, Kelly and I have been traveling all over together and um, he loves chasing swells. And um, we, you know, we're good friends and he likes the way I, I capture those swells and likes the way I document the story. And, um, so, you know, there's kind of no wave too far. So in between filming for the project, we, you know, we're going to, we're going off and uh, shooting images for, for his line of brands as well. You know, the Slater designs, um, outer known in addition to documenting the wave pool, which has been an amazing journey as well. I mean, we all grew up revering Kelly, of course, anybody who's into surfing does, um, what was the experience like when you guys first connected? How did you meet? How did you connect originally? We originally met. The first time we met was out in the water at Rincon. I was a photography student uh, in Santa Barbara, and a friend of his 
um, was out there and I'm, and we were, we were mutual friends and he just introduced us real fast. And I was like, Hey, can I shoot a quick photo of you? I, the waves were real small and I swam out with like half a roll of film and I'll never forget. I shot, shot 34 on my, um, on my roll of film it was like a, a one snapshot of a portrait of Kelly. Hmm. I think that was like 2006, maybe 2005, okay. just a random shot. And, and we talked a minute about a mutual friend of ours, Steve Sherman, yeah. who at the time was traveling with him quite a bit. And then a few years later, I was in France. Uh, I was in France. About that experience, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, were you enamored? Was your mind blown? I mean, like, again, we all grew up revering Kelly. Like, you get to interact with him. Do you remember how you felt at the time? And Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Um, but at, at, this, at, at the same time, I was, um, I'm a bit of a, a photography nerd and, and a bit of a, a kind of a light snob. And I just remember like he just got away at Rincon. I was sitting on a bodyboard shooting with a 85 millimeter lens. And I had Provia 400 in because I was doing a school assignment. I was just shooting Provia 400. So I had half a roll. And I was like, oh, I'll just go shoot half a roll at sunset. And um, so I was all excited. It was the first roll Provia 400X that I just shot. That film had just come out. And... Um, as he was palling back out, the light was really nice. And I was okay. like, hey, Kelly, can I shoot a quick portrait of you? And he's like, sure. And we talked to him in about film versus digital. And I was like, yeah, film's so cool. Like, you don't know what you have. And he's like, I don't know. Digital's pretty nice. Like, <laughs> it's nice knowing you got it. And I was like, ah, whatever, man. And like, just like real small talk. Funny. And uh, how'd that image turn out? It was cool. Yeah, yeah it came out really nice. Um, I still have it. I, I mean, I have it. Uh, I should show it to you. I don't, I don't have it with me. but Yeah, um, I'd love to see it. Yeah, it's just kind of he's smiling, looks happy, beautiful sunset sunset light. And, mm. um, a few years later, I was in France working on a surf movie with Julian Wilson. I was shooting stills for I forget what the name of the film. Scratching Scratch the, the surface. Scratching yeah. the surface. And um, Steve Sherman was there with Travis Lee, and they were all um, hanging out in in the parking lot checking the surf. And I was with Julian, and I think Dion Agius and um, Dane was with us, and. We were all just talking, and Kelly was just on his way to go to um, Scotland to go to a golf tournament. Mm. And we were looking at this golf book that he had, and in the back you could see all these little waves. And you're like, oh, that, you know, there could be waves there. But he was just more excited about the greens because mm -hmm. apparently they have great golf, golfing there. And uh, so we, we were there, and a, a good friend of ours, mutual friend, uh, Michael Crawley, at the time was a team manager of Quicksilver. And we got home, and he called me, and was like, hey, do you want to come come work for Quicksilver? And had a meeting at Quicksilver a week later. And I remember it was myself and Jeff Hornbaker meeting with the whole creative team. And Jeff Hornbaker had been with Quicksilver for a really long time. And um, he was shooting more motion at the time uh, for Roxy. And, you know, I was shooting stills. And the first trip we went on together for Quicksilver was the trip that we shot uh, the image for Kelly's 10th world title. Oh, yeah. So that was like the very first day we ever shot for I can't say where. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah, it was one of one of Kelly's spots, and uh, you know we made it black and white, so you couldn't tell where it was. I remember the image though, for sure. And um, yeah, ever since then, we were just every time there was a swell, he was like, "Up, oh, we're going, let's go," mm. and it's been that way ever since. Interesting. Um, so you're obviously responsible for those images of the wave pool when like that first got announced. What, I guess, geez, was that two years ago now too? Two thousand five. It was. Two, it would have been 2000, December 
fifth, two thousand fifteen. December fifth I mean, or sixth. Five. I meant fifteen. Yeah. I yeah. think it was two thousand fifteen or sixteen. Two thousand fifteen. So obviously, yeah. Kelly unveils his wave pool on the world. I guess it was the day after Adriana won the world title, actually, because I remember that kind of being a storyline. Was like Adriano gets overshadowed by this, of course. And so you're responsible for those images, um, and were there. Were you there when Kelly saw? it in its full glory the first time yeah so that project we'd been um kelly and his team had been working on that project for about 10 years and i came in about six years into that project um and had been documenting you know everything leading up to it the meetings the you know the first shovel in the dirt that kind of thing okay so i'd kind of been documenting the whole process of it internally for the brand Hmm. um and Kelly and I, we were in, uh, we were in Fiji at the time and we just come in from surfing cloud break and he got a text of the first empty wave and they're like, it's working. And I'll never forget. I was, um, my wife was with us and it was her first time to Fiji. And I was like, babe, I'm like, we kind of have to leave a couple days early because this wave machine, it's, it's, it's working. And no one else knows, so we just say we, goodbye to Fiji, say hello to Central California. Yeah, <laughs> and so we uh, we got on a flight, landed at I forget what time the flight landed in Fiji from Fiji in the afternoon, and drove all night, got in real late, and then um, we were in the suburban together when we when we pulled up that first morning, and I just remember we shot it, we shot that whole day, and. Went to bed that night, and then the following day was the day that uh, the Jaws event was happening, mm. um, in addition to Surfer Pole. And so I remember I, was, I kept getting messages from, from the guys at Surfer Magazine, like, are you coming to Surfer Pole? Is Kelly coming to Surfer Pole? Like, where are you? Because they thought I was in Fiji still. I could, you know, we couldn't tell anyone where we were. And this at the time when we did the shoot, it was like, you pulled into the gate, you left your cell phone in a basket. Like, yeah. there, this was a no phone zone. And it was like... You know, no one knew we were there. It was very hush-hush. It was really quiet. And we didn't really know what we were getting into. We didn't know how safe it was to be in the water. You know, Kelly wanted to be the first one. Well, everyone agreed that, you know, they wanted Kelly to be the first one to ride a wave. Of course. So, you know, we didn't even know if it was how safe it would be when there's this big arm creating a wave, like what it's like to be in the water for that. Um, so we did that. And I remember flew from Fiji, spent all day at the... At the, at the wave pool, drove back to San Diego and then had a red eye. No, I had a 6 a.m. flight to Hawaii the next day. Flew to Hawaii and was staying at the surfer house that year. And I remember we had to get the edit done from from the wave pool to, to get the images ready and, and the, the film ready. But I was sleeping on the living room at the surfer house. And so I would wake up at four in the morning and do my edits. And when the first person would wake up, because I'm staying in, in a house with every editor, every publisher, like photo editor, writer, like everyone's there and they would love to see this. No one knew this existed. So I'd be up at four in the morning editing. And then when the first guy would wake up, I'd close the computer and then have to like go hide or go surf or try and shoot. And I just remember like at that whole week, I was like asleep in the middle of the day and I'd like be asleep at seven o'clock at night. And everyone probably thought I was the laziest person around. Because right. I was up in the middle of the night trying to get these edits done, but no one knew they existed. And I'd go to Kelly's and finish the edit. And um, when the uh, when the video came out, I was back in California, 
And I, I remember I was watching it and, and uh, I, I called the guys um, from the wave pool and just thanked them. I was like, you know, this was such a cool experience. I'm so grateful to have been there and been a part of it to document it. At the time, none of the images had been seen yet. Uh, or Kelly had seen them, but they hadn't been sent anywhere and we weren't emailing anything because everything was just really private. So I was like hand driving uh, hard drives to wherever they, they had to go. And um, I was while I was on the phone with the guys from the wave pool, um, it was right before Christmas, I remember. And I got an email from uh, Grant Ellis at Surfer and it was like, hey, were you there? Like dot, 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 cover. And as we were just saying our goodbyes, I'm like, hey, you know, the guys at Surfer would be into a cover if possible. Like, are you guys into it? And I'm like, they go to print tomorrow. And they're like, hold on, we'll call you back. So like, they all talk about it. They call me back like half an hour later and they go, yep, we're into it. And so I call Grant. I'm like, okay, he's like, send me photos. I'm like, I can't send you photos. I'm like, I can drive to the offices and show you a handful of selects and send you TIFFs of the files. Like typically you send a raw file to an editorial magazine and raw is like a totally editable file. And like, nope. I think gave him like six or eight images, called Kelly, got a quote right there. And then that's how the magazine, that's how the, the Surfer came out Crazy. with the mandate issue. It was just like that. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, fascinating story, man. Um, have you been able to surf that wave? I have. You have? Yeah. Was it on that first trip or since N- then? No. Um, that first trip, I, I wasn't able to, to surf. That was all for Kelly. Yeah. Um, but I spent quite a bit of time there last summer and documented just about every session that happened there. So I, I got to spend quite a bit of time riding waves. You've there. caught a few waves there, more yeah. than a few. Uh, tell me about the wave. Like, how similar is it to a real ocean experience? As far as when you're on the wave, it feels like you're you're riding a real wave. Similar From, amount of power, and if anything, a little bit more power. Mm. It'd be like surfing a wave at um, maybe Greenmount, okay, or the real shallow section that. Um, at the river mouth at Rincon. Okay. Me being a goofy foot, I wish it was left, but sure. Because Kelly made it, it's a right. Of course. And we've battled back and forth quite a bit about that. Yeah. yeah. So as soon as he makes a left, I'm putting the camera down and, and become, yeah. <laughs> becoming a surf bum again. Um, but for me, you know, it, it was tricky. To, it's tricky to ride. I'm, I'm not the greatest backhand tube rider. If, if I surf like Neil Purchase Jr., I, I'd be getting 50 second tubes. You will eventually, dude, uh, if you eventually, keep surfing the pool. Yeah. You have you have no excuse to not become. But uh, you know, as, as an average goofy foot surfer that gets to surf when I when I put the camera down, like yeah. you know, there's been a handful of waves of I've had six or eight turns and three tubes on that. You know, I'm not getting those waves anywhere else in the world. So, dude, if you get one of those waves, you got to just everything's gravy after that. Yeah, ex- that's amazing. Exactly. What have What have you ridden out there? What kind of boards do you remember? Or? Yeah, I've ridden. Um, I've always just ridden Kelly's board. So I've ridden the, okay. the Slater designs, the Omni. I think yeah. the Omni works best out there because it has a little bit more kick in the nose. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit shorter, so it fits the curve of the wave better. And the Sci-Fi as well. And that one's a little bit looser, so you can adjust the different. Um, levels of energy that the wave produces so oh. you can you can go to the guy that's in charge and be like hey i want to get a 50 second tube okay we're gonna do this like they push a button it's like the jetsons or you can be like i want to do like 15 turns and he's like okay we're gonna do it like this and we're gonna have a perfect shoulder rip shoulder high rippable wave and um you know every time i've been it's always been with with real high level surfers so of course when it's your turn to surf you're always a little bit self-conscious of the way you surf it but i have you, fun i was gonna say you gotta give up that because if you're rolling with kelly all the time you just you're always gonna be the low man on the totem pole in terms of yeah. surfability yeah exactly you gotta relinquish any shame 
well, even these guys, like with our project, you know, that was one thing that um, that I had found. And, and maybe I was a bit self-indulgent in this, but when we did the trips with like Craig and Rob, we're all goofy foots. I kind of made sure that we went to left points, mm. not only for them, but there were a couple of times like I knew that we'd have the shot. And they'd be out in the water and I'd like pile up next to them and be like, what's up guys? Like there'd be an extra board on the beach and they're like, shouldn't you be shooting? I'm like, nah, we got this. Like <laughs> I got to surf a little. We worked so hard to put this together. Like I'm, I'm going to put on my producer hat and just make sure you guys are doing okay in the water. And I always like to play the card of like, look, dude, I'll be a better photographer or producer if I get to enjoy this as well. You know what I mean? Totally. And I enjoy I certainly enjoy shooting and you know, the session that we had with Craig and Rob in one of the locations we went to, they were the only ones out and they were getting two, three barrels on a wave and it was just them, nobody else around, which was really neat. Hmm. Actually, uh, the guy that owned the land, we had to jump a fence to go in, came out with a shotgun and was wondering what was happening. But we just talked to him and he was, you know, I don't even know if he'd seen surfing before, but he wow. was really cool with us being there. And I'm wow. sure he was a bit surprised with drones and big cameras and all that kind of thing. But Dude, you're revealing your hand, telling us that there's a fence, that there's a guy who maybe hasn't seen surfing. Yeah. We're going to narrow down the location. Totally. And, you know, it's funny because, like, in a couple of the spots, the water was actually really warm, and we just put the guys in five mils just to throw people totally off. Yeah, right. That's a smoke screen right there. Hey, I was actually going to ask you, water temp in the wave pool, like, we've seen Kelly fully suited. We've seen him in trunks. What's the deal? No, it's, um, you know, that's totally dependent on what the outside temperature is. You know, it's really hard to, to, uh, heat or control the level of water and that much space. So I think it's just all dependent on if the temp is fluctuating that much. I think so. Yeah. I just assumed he was toughing it out to wear trunks, like that the water was always probably chilly. And then he's like, ah, I just want to wear trunks for whatever reason. No, I mean we've been there when the water is eighty degrees. Oh, okay. And we've cool. been there when the water is really cold. Hmm. So just depending on on what time of the year it is, that makes sense. To, you know, determines the type of uh, the type of wetsuit you need to wear, or if it's windy. You know, sometimes it's windy, you just wear a wetsuit, sure, just to stay warm. And when you're surfing all day, like when I'm shooting photos in the water at the at the wave pool, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll wear a five mil or a six mil, just hmm. even when it's a hundred degrees out, because your body chills if. If you're swimming for eight or ten hours a day, absolutely. But going back to the um, the surfing on trips, like when uh, when we did the trip with Dave and Steph, Taylor was really excited because uh, when Taylor lived in Byron Bay, he always rode Dave's boards. So when we were at a right hand point, and the minute those two would come in, Taylor was out there surfing, and he yeah. and he would ride Dave's boards, and I would ride Steph's boards, and. Um, it was, and Steph would be like, where's the camera? I'll film. And like, no was way. super into filming. And we had like cameraman's cups and, oh, uh, we, yeah, we had a good time. We like to keep, I mean, I ultimately like, we, you know, with the pressures of a film crew and, and forecasting for a swell like that, you know, that it's pretty high stress, but at the same time, like we're going to surfing totally. and we, you have to make sure that, um, everyone's having a good time. And that's something Taylor's so good at. Like, you know, we'll be out in the middle of the desert and it'll be super hot and windy and the waves will be terrible. And like, He'll pull out a hacky sack and like a bunch of you know almond butter with jelly, you know jelly and bread and chips and salsa and guacamole and like you turn in this little barbecue as you're like changing a flat tire and doing that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm gonna add, I have questions about that actually. Is um, you talk about this super hectic schedule and being up late nights, being up early mornings. Um, you seem very calm. 
Kelly and things that I always hear from him, he seems to maintain a level of Zen, but I know he has a lot more going on than I certainly do. My day today feels overwhelming to me between like I'm recording two different things with you and, and then um, I'm thinking about emails that need to come in. I'm thinking about my timeline for the rest of the day. How do you manage the minutia in your life? And I think this is actually more applicable to you than anybody because you were talking about wrangling the data. When you're shooting trips like that, you're shooting all day and then you have to come home and log it all and catalog it and back it all up. And you're traveling with tons of equipment, chargers for everything, batteries for everything. Like I don't think listeners fully understand the layers of planning organization prior to, but then again, organization after to catalog all this stuff. Then you're managing your travel schedule. You got to book flights. You got to book hotels. You got to book all that stuff. Like how do you manage the minutia? Well, um, I, I guess there's two, there's two different answers to that. One would be from the film crew perspective and one would be from the still photography perspective. Um, from the film crew, Taylor was able to put together a really, a really good team of guys that, like I said, were guys like Nathan Myers that were kind of like Swiss Army Knives that could kind of do a couple different things. And then you had other guys that were just specialists. Like one of the on one of the trips, we had Darren Crawford, who's a phenomenal water cinematographer, and he is a self-contained unit. He has all his own gear, all his own housings, and he goes and he. You know, when when he did our trip, he had two lenses. He had a, a 15 millimeter and a 50 millimeter, and everything fell within those two looks of what he shot. And as soon as the guys touched the water, they were in his world, and he directed and he shot them, and he made sure it looked as good as possible. He was in charge of his own data. He'd turn over a hard drive. Uh, the drone team was self sufficient with their data, but they were also able to manage the data of um, the two uh, land cameras as well. So as far as the film crew, um, you know, uh, Andrew McKenzie from Aether Films, he was on all the trips and he was able to, to manage all the data. But a lot of it was, you know, we're not a big production. We easily could have had an additional couple of like, P, like personal assistants or PAs on the trip. But, you know, it starts getting too busy. It's too hard to move. It's too slow. You want to leave at six in the morning and, you know, someone's using the bathroom. Someone needs coffee. Someone needs to do this. So when we chose the the, the crew, we really made sure that everyone knew what they had to do and they're, they're good at what they do. And they can also kind of take, kind of take care of themselves too, because we can't be babysitting. Um, and the surfers at the same time, knowing that we had a pretty short amount of time to film with each one of their sections, they wanted it to be the best that they could. So we'd wake up and it'd be freezing outside. And like Shane would already have been up for an hour drinking coffee, ready to go. And he's like, no, I know the importance of being in Taylor film and being a part of it. And I know that's what's so great about all the surfers in the film, not just a pinpoint chain, but like, you know, they understand how hard we work to make these trips happen. And so they gave us 150%, but mm-hmm. like they were on it. They were carrying Pelican cases, carrying tripods, like whatever they could do to help, they, they would help. And it, and it made it a, a team effort because, you know, in a team, you're only as strong as the weakest link. And so if you get someone who, um, is able to lend an extra hand and it makes it, it work better all the way around from a still standpoint. Um, yeah, I would, you know, we would be forecasting the swell shooting, downloading. I, I'd triple back up all the data, leave an extra hard drive in one of the, one of the other rooms 
So on a shoot day, I mean, basically on these trips, like you're going flat out. You sleep like three, four hours a day at the most. And it's, you're up all day, you're shooting, you're trying to find waves. Like the trip we did with Craig and uh, Rob, we drove for the first four days for 10 hours a day and didn't touch the water until the fifth day. We were getting totally skunked, like totally, totally skunked. And we chased a big swell, but the winds were bad, Um, which is like really frustrating. And Mm -hmm. it's like certainly a test of patience and a test of tolerance. And, you know, the whole time you're just thinking, okay, are we getting skunked? Are we getting skunked? And because I was the one forecasting the swells, I'm thinking, you know, it's not just Taylor, myself, and two surfers. It's Taylor, myself, two surfers, and an eight-man film crew. So you start thinking about the budget, you start thinking about the money, you start thinking about people, you know, guys who have kids, guys who have wives that spend a lot of time on the road traveling. And you're just going, okay, are we getting skunk? Like, I'm responsible. Like, we filmed with Shane and Albie over Halloween. The first two days that we flew in were meant to be the biggest days. And they were totally flat. And those were meant to be the biggest swells. And I remember calling Kelly and I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know, we're here. We're with Shane and Albie and the film crew. Like, it was meant to be big and it's totally flat. Like, what do you suggest? And he's like, well... Maybe give it one more day. Otherwise, you can fly here, which is like an eight-hour drive and an eight-hour flight away from where we were, which there was no way we could have done that with the size of our crew. Or he's like, just kind of hold on. And I remember Shane's like, am I missing Halloween with my little girl? Like his wife was sending him photos of his little girl, Charlie, like in the cutest Halloween outfit. He's like, am I missing this to get skunked? And we're like, I hope not. And yeah. But it it all, you know, we ended up finding that wave on accident for us and you know who knows if it's been surfed before or not we can't say that but you know it it all worked out and i think that was just us i don't know if it was luck or just stupidity or just i don't know good karma whatever it was it it always worked out on all the trips Hmm. but um yeah it's i mean at the end of the trip at the end of a shoot i'd go home and i'd sleep for a week or try to at least but it didn't always work out that way i was gonna say it doesn't seem like your life it's allows for that anymore. Like it seems like you have gotten to the point where you're so busy that really organizing um, a lot of that chaos will serve you really well. You know, being able to manage it. Do you want to do you want to give listeners an idea of what the next couple of weeks of your life look like um, premiering this thing? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, well, again, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's something that it. This isn't work to me. This is like, <laughs> it's a pat. Like, I absolutely love to do this. Like, I can't believe that I'm sitting here talking about this. Like, we got to do this. Like, two years ago, this was just a total pipe dream right. over a cup of coffee. And like, now, like, in a month and a half, I'm going to have a full 288-page coffee table book that I will have forever and be able to share with everyone in the film, be able to share with people that enjoy photography, enjoy surfing, enjoy reading a good story. Um when I what I don't know what today is Thursday. Thursday. Today is Thursday. Yeah. So right after this, I'm going to Surfer Magazine, and we're pulling uh, the the issue has already gone to print, which will be out in two weeks. Um, we are building four different web galleries, each one separate to each trip. In addition to that, we're putting together a promo package that we can send out uh, to promote to, to like the other media sponsors. Okay. And then next week we're having uh, an art show in New York. Followed by uh, the grand premiere, which is on the fourth, 
um, at the Gramercy Theater, which just sold out, which is going to wow. be really cool. We have more than half the the surfers flying into New York to wow. to celebrate with us. Um, so that's on the fourth. Um, the fifth, we're taking down all the images that are up at the theater, and I'm putting them in a crate and shipping them back to California. Okay. On the sixth, I fly to Sydney to put up an art show. So we land on the eighth. We have an art show uh, the afternoon of the ninth. And then the next morning, I fly to Byron Bay, and we have a premiere in Byron Bay. The next night is in the Gold Coast, and then from the Gold, which we have a different art show. Then from the Gold Coast, we're flying back to Sydney to do another premiere. Then down to Melbourne for a, a night, and then to Auckland for the next night. And then we land um, the morning of the 16th in uh, in Los Angeles which we have a premiere that afternoon in San Clemente. And so I'll probably go from LA straight to the premiere in San Clemente and then um, go to San Diego. And then the morning of the 17th, I wake up and put up an art show that's going to be in Encinitas um, at the set space. And then on the 18th, we have our, uh, our big premiere at La Paloma, which is just found out it's almost sold out and it's already like, it's like a month ahead. Right. And then from there we have a show in um, LA, San Francisco. Um, I actually have to fly to Arizona for a day for my cousin's wedding, and then I go to um, I go to Fiji for the WCT contest for the Collaborate contest. Yep. And then fly home from Fiji, which is when the day I get back from Fiji, the next day is when all my books arrive, and I'm gonna be doing a California book tour for like seven days with my wife and I renting an RV and just doing different slideshows and talk stories to to promote the book. Um, right after that, I we drive back down and then I fly to South Africa for the WCT event and then come home from Africa and then continue the book tour on the East Coast and then go to Tahiti for the CT and then do the rest of the tour on top of that. And then we have stops in Paris and Dubai and, uh, and that, that's just what we know about right now. That's insane. Yeah. The fact that you could even call all that from memory is impressive. <laughs> Much less organize it and stay on top of all the logistics. My wife's really organized Good. and she helps Good. a lot. I'm terrible at this. I, I mean, she's the one that emailed you originally. Um, yeah. And, and this is something that, like I said, like, you know, self-publishing a book and doing all this and, you know, um, you know, self-funding these art shows and, and trying to make it all happen. It's it's a project of passion. And I know how hard the surfers work to yeah. to make their parts good. And so I just want to reciprocate that on my end and hopefully that shows and hopefully people will appreciate it when they see it all i do um and i really appreciate the level of professionalism having been elevated in the in my lifetime in the world of surfing you know because when i came up um i don't know it was just so lax and so lazy and so you know, it was cool to be lazy and it was cool to not care and it was cool to not work out and cross train and all that and, you know, I, I admired a lot of those surfers, so they were important in my life at a certain time. But at this point, like I value art and I value good content. And I recognize that those things oftentimes come from work involved, you know, and so um, I'm grateful for it, yeah. for the work involved and all that. Well, thank you. And, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from from my friends and, and from guys who are doing this. Like I learned so much from guys like, you know, Rob and Kelly and, and Shane and, um, you know, 
Dave, I love how he's like, he doesn't have a cell phone. Like really? for us to get in touch with him, Taylor flew to Australia and basically knocked on his door. It's like, Hey, we're making a surf movie. That's crazy. Making a surf movie. Like you want to do it? And Steph was super excited to be in it. You know, there's never been a woman in a Taylor Steele film. And Steph's, I didn't know that. Steph's the first one. Interesting. Good choice. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> and she was so fun to have on the trips. And that's the ultimate goal is anytime as a, as a producer, as a photographer, as a friend, if, at the end of the trip, they're like, when are we doing this again? You're like, mm-hmm. all right, we did something. That's right. awesome. Like, that's fun. Uh, I have a feeling I already know the answer to this question, but um, you talk proximity, the release schedule, and then, of course, all your Surfer Magazine and WCT obligations throughout the year. The question is, what's the next project? Do you have another project on the horizon, or is this all of your focus? Uh, is proximity all of my focus? Mm-hmm. Um, if... We had this conversation two months ago. I would have said yes. Um, I've, I've already started shooting for another book project and another film project, uh, which will be out next year. Who's the film director involved with that? Or is that your, your um, directing as yeah, well? I'm directing as well. Oh, my gosh. So it's your project. It's a team project, but um, yeah, I'm helping coordinate everything. And, okay. Is it a proper it. surf film? Is it a documentary? Is It'd it be more of like a documentary type film and, and then another uh, book to go along with it. So this proximity film really inspired me and we're being able to work with Taylor is just, you know, seeing the way that he works and the way that he manages such a big travel crew. And, but ultimately when it comes to a film, in my opinion, it, it's simplicity. It's, it's pushing away all the, all the excess and, and, and at any at, with any project, it's the story that needs to come to life. Exactly, and yeah. so you choose the right tools, you choose the right crew, you choose the right cameraman, you choose the right subjects to tell the story that you want to do. And without a story, you could have all the fancy gadgets in the world and there's no substance there. I agree. But, um, you know, that's like even just the beauty, like now there's like iPhone photographers. Like I don't shoot photos on my iPhone hardly ever unless it's like for an Instagram story or something. But there's amazing iPhone photographers. But the way that my brain works, is I don't think of my iPhone as a, as a valuable camera. However, it, it totally is. And there's people on Instagram that have hundreds of thousands of followers and only shoot photos with their iPhone. Right. To me, I don't get the same satisfaction out of that. So sure. I think if, a, if you come up with a good idea for a story um, and people are willing to participate, then you, you know, I, I get pretty like narrow minded when it comes to like, if there's a task at hand that needs to be done, just like last night, like we had a week to get an art show done. Like I started calling people in Australia, friends of mine that are photographers and they're like, you got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to him and they'll, they'll take care of you. And so when that happens and, and um, I know Taylor's the exact same way is that we just, we hyper-focus mm-hmm. and in order for us to, to get everything done that we need to get done, we just, nothing else matters. And, uh, like my wife always gives me a hard time because I can't like write a text and be having a conversation at the same time. Like I'm so single minded. So like mm-hmm. for me, like right now it's like the book has been the entire focus and just getting, um, getting like the book done is, has just been everything I want to do and, and making sure the film comes out right. And so when that's done, then it's like, okay, move on to the next project. But yeah, um, like my wife can like, Make breakfast, write an email, be having a phone conversation, which I don't know how she does at the same time. And then like, you know, go on a hundred mile bike ride and like the same day and be working, you know, full time. I'm like, I don't know how you do it. For me, like my brain is like, wake up, glass of water, coffee, 
check the surf, go surf, go shoot, or edit. And then if it's time to get it done and stay up for 24 hours to get something done, you can that, make it. Happen. You just that's just what you do. It's, right. Um, it's like I've learned to like be fully on and then turn fully off. And and it's important. Learning how to turn fully off is something that I struggle with a lot. I do too, actually. Um, that's why I was asking how you manage the minutia because I haven't done it successfully. And I live with a lot of anxiety because of it because I just know things that I didn't get done and things that I have coming up. And I admire that in people. You know, like I'll, like I said, I'll hear Kelly talk and he seems so calm. And I'm like, dude, you're, I know you're managing a businesses, important businesses, plus your travel and all that. And I'm worried that... Um, like for the podcast that I can't fully engage in the conversation or deliver uh, the best version of it because I'm thinking about whatever else is to come. So I think, again, back to the original conversation we started this with, which is living in the moment, you know, yeah. and being able to kind of maximize that experience. Well, one thing that I've certainly tried to do more so than ever, and this is something that um, I know, like I, I know Kelly does a lot is he'll leave his phone in the other room. And yeah, just even right now, like, Come from when I parked here and walked in, my phone was, you know, it's it's a pretty busy time right now with the premieres and the art shows and traveling. And um, Albie had just called; he was trying to book his ticket to New York. And um, I I've been leaving my phone on silent, mm. not even vibrate, just silent, and then trying to leave it like right now it's in my bag, so I won't look at it. And then because I really wanted to focus on this and yeah, and do the best that I can to 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 be informative and be engaged. So your listeners can appreciate it and we can have a great conversation and it's not, um, you know, my attention isn't diverted, but if I were, if I had my phone and like, I've seen your phone, you get a couple text messages. Like if I looked at that, my brain would just immediately go to all the other yeah. stresses. Happening. Exactly. And so for me, like, um, leaving my phone in the other room last week, I went a week with no social media, what? which was, which my wife was, not super happy about because that's what she does. She's like a digital publicist. She does that for a lot of companies, a lot of um, athletes. And she's like, I can't believe you didn't post anything for a week. And especially with the film and the book and all the stuff coming out. But I get stressed when I, when I look at social media because I'm like, Oh, so-and-so is getting good weights here. And this guy's doing that. And this photo only has so many likes or whatever it is. Like it's not that important. Well, I'm going to take your cue, especially with the phone. Um, I think that's a really practical solution. And I'll admit, I think I'm better than I am. Like, I think that I can manage those things. You've acknowledged I can't do both things simultaneously. I think that I can, but I'm wrong, you know, because it only creates anxiety for me. Yeah. Um, even if I technically get away with it, it's not the best version of me replying to the text or me engaging in the conversation or any of it, you know? So I will take your cue. That's a good, good lesson. It's, it's something that I've learned, and a, a friend of mine, Mark Healy, said something pretty funny. We were out, we were out at Mavericks a couple of years ago, and this was kind of right when Instagram was getting really big. And he's like, you know, and at the time, this is when his handle was a, was Donkey Show, right? He's like, you know, everyone's so into Instagram and Facebook and likes and comments and all that shit. And he's like, can I say that on the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. He's like, you know, when a wave lands on your head, he's like, you could have a hundred thousand followers. He's like, you're by yourself. And he's like, so you got to make sure you're okay. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Pretty simple. It's really simple. And there's yeah. certainly been situations when I've been in the water where it's been a scary situation. I'm like, you know what? However many followers I have or however many people want to say whatever about your work, like 
it's up to you to get out of that situation and do it safely. So you need yeah. to, you kind of need to take care of yourself. And, uh, and, uh, I, I don't know. And, and that's what works for me. Like, you know, if my wife is here, she could be having this oh, yeah. conversation, yeah, yeah. totally engaged and texting totally. the entire time. And it, but it just, it doesn't work for me. And, um, that was one thing like with the project that was really cool is like Dave doesn't have a phone. Yeah. And, and he actually talks about that in the film. He talks oh, about okay. that in the book and he's like, you know, I'm genuinely interested in people. I, I like people. I like traveling. I like going to new places. And he's like, if I have a phone on me and it's buzzing all the time, it, it, it drives, drives me crazy. So he's like, I want to be engaged with the conversation. I want to talk about your surfboard. I want to talk about the wave. I want to talk about the swell. I want to talk about this cactus. I want to talk about this beer we're drinking, whatever it is that, you know, the music that you've been listening to. He's like, I, cause we don't see each other very much. So he's like, for the week we're here, let's be engaged. And then we can go back and, you know, it, it's not always what would one say would be the most efficient, but then you could also say you're not being the most efficient with yourself if yeah. you're constantly being pulled in multiple directions. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. I, I, I'm cut from the same cloth as David. It's a good reminder to hear it, you know? Yeah. Cause you, it's easy to get, um, just pulled into the vortex and just think that this is the new way of life, you know? Totally. So. And it's funny because phones, you know, they're made for us to be more efficient. Smartphones. I know. Yeah. I find myself busier than ever. Exactly. But what was interesting is last week I went a full week with no social media, right. no Facebook or Instagram. I don't have Twitter, but I was like, I have a lot of time. I realized how much time I was wasting on it. And, you know, you could also consider it like a marketing tool and a way yeah. to promote podcasts, a way to promote books, art, photography, premieres, all that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, it's rare. I, I can just speak for myself that this morning I posted a, a flyer for the film. I didn't just post it and forget about it. I've probably checked it five times since. Right. And every couple of minutes that adds up. And so... It does um, add up. All the little checks add up throughout the course of the day. And then you get caught in these little banters and you go back mm -hmm. and forth. And um, it's great. But it, but it ultimately, I, I think, and I struggle with this a lot, is just finding contentment and, and being okay with what you're doing and not having to worry about what other people are doing. And if you need to turn your phone off for a couple of days and, and find that peace of mind. I really struggle with that when I'm home. Mm -hmm. For me, it's really easy. When I'm on a trip, I'll turn my phone off for yeah, a week. Just focus on the work. And just focus on the work and focus on where I'm at and, you know, you know what we're doing, and, and which is going surfing. And we're in these beautiful places and we're making images and we're having fun. And I'll turn my phone on airplane modes. So I have an alarm to wake up in the morning, right. that kind of thing. But, um, you know, it, there's something to be said about being able to unplug. But there's also another thing to be said with the amount that we travel, being able to maintain that space of office on the road yeah. to make, to keep all the wheels turning. Totally. So it's just finding that balance. Um, well, the final question I always have for everybody interviewed is just what was the final surfboard or what was the last surfboard that you rode? The very last surfboard I rode, man, I wish we did this a week ago <laughs> because I have this board that Rob shaped. He, he, he made it, uh, Rob Machado made it as a gift for me. Oh. And, it was, it's called the, the nugget because Rob has his own surfboard company called the Machado surfboards. And it's, it's kind of similar to the channel islands biscuit, yep. but it's a little bit more thinned out a little bit flatter in the tail. It's a five, two, it's got this, um, concave, a little bit fuller, like Greeno rails on the side. Mm. And it's like hands down the best board I've ever ridden. 
When you say greeno rails, meaning like the edge? Yeah, it's okay. got like a greeno edge okay. on a on a shortboard. Okay. And oh, I've seen him making them. Yes. On a, He's posted photos of them. Yes. Okay. And it's like hands down the best board I've ever ridden. Really? But I um, I buckled it and I just sent it to get repaired. So the last week I've been riding um, a 5.0 uh, Keelfin Fish okay. that, that he shaped. He, it was originally meant to be a 5.5. And when he got off the racks, it ended up being a 5.0. He cut the tail too short. So it was a little bit too short for him. So I've been riding that. Okay. So it's a purple board. We call it Purple Rain, like from like the Jimmy board. But it's cool. There's like a purple resin tint that go over the Gephardt fins. Okay. And he moved the fins slightly back. So it's a little bit stiffer than a traditional fish. Sure. Um, and that board works really well. But the other one, the, this, yeah. the raw board, the Nugget. And that's just because it's. Um, I picked it up yesterday from being fixed. And I didn't get a chance to surf today. Got it. But that's what I'm going to surf tomorrow in the morning. Epic. Um, but yeah, that, it's a thruster. It's like the best board I've ever ridden. I, mean, I was shattered when it buckled, but um, I've been surfing it just about every day for a year straight, and it was bound to happen. It's a good sales pitch for Rob right there huh. and his boards. Yeah, so put me on the team, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> team Goofyfoot, unite. Well, that's it. You just got to pick trips with people that are either the same size as you. Yeah. Like, I've never done oh, a trip okay. with Keanu Singh, but like. We'd be a great surf match. That's funny. Because his boards and I, like, we'd, we'd go well together. That's funny. Um, Kelly's board's a little bit longer than I like. Yeah. But Rob likes riding these shorter, kind of thicker boards yeah. that work insane. Same with Craig. His boards. Yeah. But his boards are a little bit narrower. Like, he ride, likes riding a little bit narrower board mm. than even the, than what Rob rides, even mm. though um, Rob's a bit taller. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks. Thanks for taking so much time out of your obviously busy schedule. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Gladly, dude. Gladly. Thank you so much. Glazer, ladies and gentlemen, tglazer.com is Todd's website. I'll have a link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And his book, the coffee table book for proximity, is actually available on his website. So definitely check that out. You could be among the first to snag one of those. And then if you want to see a um, premiere for proximity, it's playing now through. Uh, maybe like May nineteenth or so might be the final date that I'm show that they're showing on their website, um, and that's in Santa Cruz. But they're playing kind of all over, as you heard Todd talk about the schedule. Um, check out proximitythemovie.com for the full um, list of premieres, and then of course I will keep you posted when it's available on uh, iTunes or whatever. However, we get films nowadays, I will let you know when it's available. So. Thanks again to everybody for listening to this show. Make sure that you share it with friends. That helps our show grow. You can follow on Instagram at Surf Splendor. That's a great way to share it. Feel free to rate and review the show in iTunes. Another great way for other people to find it. And, of course, everything that Todd and I discussed in this episode, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Make sure to check that out. We have a list 
of all the music, like this track from Durando. Um, every song ever played in Surf Splendor we've got available on a Spotify list. So all sorts of fun stuff on surfsplendorpodcast.com. All right. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, listeners. Until next week, this is David Scales signing off, reminding you, get back in the ocean, get a couple of waves, and shred on. Thank you.